special little culture for five days. Temporary society, maybe all societies are temporary, finally. This one's five days. And here is the culture of mindfulness, Michael's term. You'll have to give him credit. Um, I guess it's not funny, Michael. <laughs> They're very serious. Oh, is that it? <laughs> tired of me. <laughs> um, and so there's correct action for here. If you recall, one underlying theme of the talks has been there's life and... Uh, this is as much a real world as uh, wherever you're going back to, Times Square. Uh, This world, in this world, correct action is silence and so forth. The guidelines have been put forward all week. Uh, And to help us develop inwardly, it's a very special environment. But now we're going to leave and go back to wherever we go back to. Um, And typically, uh, we don't let go. This becomes the measure. Now, if you hated it here, it'll still become the measure. Because then you just love the most ordinary things when you get home. Just, they're fantastic. Just to be able to eat what you want and do what you want. But also very common is some of the things that are accomplished here. um, The conditions for accomplishing them are, are intentional. And then when we set foot out, out of the door, get in our car, as the mileage starts ticking off, um, our hard-earned samadhi starts falling apart. Uh, because, let's say, uh, you're driving for five minutes, ten minutes heading for Boston, and then soon a big truck pulls past you, and then a police car with a siren going off, and then there's a there are a whole bunch of cars that are tied up and you can't move. And you notice that all this wonderful calm that you'd worked so hard to develop, it's starting to dissipate itself and you're getting irritated. What did you, you just was the whole five days a waste of time. If you're trying to get specific mind states, certain qualities, which is normal for humans, we just want the good stuff, we don't want any of the bad stuff. And of course, the conditions you're moving into are not going to support silent. The sil- it isn't silent. It's almost as if those conditions are designed intentionally to destroy our practice. Okay, but uh, we're going to outwit them because our practice is learning how to turn a bad situation into a good one. But if you hold on to specific experiences, first noble truth of the Buddha. There is suffering in human life. Second noble truth, craving and attachment. Oh, I just love the five days here. The meals were so great. Everyone was so kind. It was so wonderful. Uh, If you hold on to that, of course you're going to suffer. Okay? Uh, Your samadhi ticks off and you get upset. As as the mileage ticks off, your samadhi... Samadhi for you is like shamatha. The calmness and the steadiness that perhaps you've developed. But if you see that, you see how it was dependent on conditions and you let it go, then there's no suffering because that's more important to learn than getting a particular, than getting high 
or blissing out for an hour or even longer, and then freeze-drying it or trying to and carrying it with you, because you can't. Life is much more... It's alive. It just breaks through the freezing process or your attempt to. And so letting go and then moving fully into the next situation. And if you recall, uh, what was suggested is that every situation in life or most, uh, there's correct action in it. And you can start asking yourself, what's correct action here? Much of it is very simple. You're driving, drive. Correct action is really driving. If your children are waiting for you and they come running to the door, uh, correct action is hug them, be fully there for them. Sometimes there's a situation we don't know what correct action is. Fine, pause. Maybe it's not clear. And so we're now moving into a, a new situation. And just a few simple guidelines, because many of you are rather new. You, you've been practicing new to retreats. Some of what many of you have been doing, just go back to it and keep doing it. But I'm going to go over it. I think it'll be obvious to I hope everyone here, it's very helpful to develop a steady sitting practice that has some continuity as much as you can, day in and day out. How long should I sit? A common question. I have no idea. Very often formulas are offered. 45 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour. I don't know where those numbers come from, but uh, when I look at, when I talk to individuals, for some people, when you don't have the support of the group, and the culture of silence and, and mindfulness, 20 minutes is an eternity. And after that, it becomes a, a really a nightmarish or tedious and grim, and soon you stop practicing. If it's 20 minutes for you, go to 25. Challenge yourself a little bit so that you can grow, but don't overdo it. If you overdo it, it will. You can get overwhelmed and, and discouraged. We also have conditions of time. We have to get to work. We have things to do at home. You have to work that out. What I've seen over the years, certainly for myself and for others, at first we try to fit our our sitting schedule in around our life as it has been going on for quite a while. If you really take to this stuff, you start rearranging your life to protect the sitting practice. Um, That's up to you. And if you start caring about it, of course as a priority it goes up, and you take a look at your life, take a fresh look, you may find... There are a lot of things you do that really, you know, you do them out of habit. And they don't really amount to much. You can let them go very easily. Just been doing it habitually, conditioned for many years. Uh, and you try, you do your best to arrange your life so that it protects uh, an act, a human activity that you value. Uh, to me, sitting quietly with yourself every day is not a luxury. But it's never been a luxury if you understand what it's, where it's going or what it does for us. To just be able to have no other requirement but to sit with yourself and to become sensitive to what, how it is for you in that more, even if it's a few minutes, five minutes, especially as the world becomes so complicated. And then we tend to look for complex solutions so that we'll feel better. Perhaps simple solutions are better, like just sitting and breathing, just sitting and noticing how we feel, however that is. And then go off to work or whatever it is you have to do. So if you can divide, devise a, and maintain some sort of continuity, uh, it's, it's very, very helpful. If you're drawn to this, 
uh, form, then of course come back to places like IMS and or other places, perhaps that are near you. If this particular practice turns out it's not for you, don't conclude that meditation is not for you. There's so many brands now, so many forms, flavors of meditation. Sometimes uh, one that we th- that we try is not for us, and it's we need to move. We need to we need to go to the mall. You know, you've seen all the magazines that are out now, right? Or maybe you will. Uh, Buddhist magazines, they're just endless smiling faces, mostly, for, mostly from Tibet, but there are lots from other countries too, and they're, come on in, come on down. And you, you may find that one of them is better for you, but you can't really find that out unless you try it. If you keep running around, going from one teacher to the other, and never fully giving either one a try, that's really a waste of time. If you find something that you really feel uh, has heart for you, let's say it's here, maybe it is here, uh, then stop going to the mall, for goodness sakes, and confusing yourself, uh, trying 17 different teachers, and then starting the mind starts comparing. Uh, you can do that, but your wisdom mind, the, lear- the mind that wants to learn, will show you that it doesn't really go very far. If you, this turns out not to be for you, then keep exploring, of course. Okay, so sitting, come back to do retreats if you feel that this is something that's been very, very helpful. Uh, many of us have found that. That's why we come, some of us have even, we've devoted our whole life to it. But each of you have to decide. It's, everyone has the question, how am I to live? And only you can decide that. Okay, to continue... Learning how to live. You remember that theme and uh, Michael's examples, uh, things that happened with smoking, things that happened when we thought we were going to have a silent retreat. Instead, there was construction going on. Uh, The three examples I gave from my father. Um, If you think back to it, uh, I'll take mine, for example. Uh, There was something... By paying attention, I felt something was off. And by being with that off quality, that fell away. The mind became a little bit more clear. And then out of that clarity came a different option that actually um, was skillful. Do you remember skillful, unskillful? The Buddha in the Kalama Sutta. Is there certain actions that are beneficial for you and others? Good, do them. There are other actions that are not beneficial. They're harmful to you and others, or maybe it's good for you, but it's really not for others. Uh, see if you can stay away from those activities. Unlearn them. Don't do them. But how do you know what's skillful, what's unskillful? There are some guidelines. Dukkha is the main one. It creates suffering or happiness, or it's at least neutral. But it's still the discrimination to be able to tell whether something's skillful or unskillful, whether the mind is fooling itself, it's a lifetime kind of learning. It's not something you hear a talk or you listen to a tape or watch a video and then, oh yeah, I, I'm going to do it. The learning is an ongoing process. That's why, if you recall uh, the, the statement by Hokusai on uh, the joy of learning how to draw, uh, and wouldn't it be nice if we could enjoy the process of the art of living 
of refining that, learning how to live. And that's inescapable from self-knowing because who's doing the learning? And, and each situation is different. So you'll make plenty of mistakes. The question is, that's not failing. Falling down is not failing. It's falling down, not getting up. So because in my case, it seems to me most, if I have any little bit of wisdom, it comes from foolishness. Thank God for foolishness. You make mistakes. The difference between people is some seem to be really highly motivated to learn from their mistakes, and others just keep doing it over and over and over again. It's sad. At any rate, I vote that we not do that. Uh, The Buddha's teaching is saying that human beings have this rare ability to redirect their energy for their own benefit. It's not fatalistic. Even karma is not fatalistic. Oh, it's my karma. Uh, it's, a, it's an alive process which can be modified as you live it. And so the art of living is something that goes on for life. Um, I mentioned relationship. And here I don't mean just personal. Life is relationship. It's alone and together, together and alone. And how can, can relationship itself be a practice? Because if we're lay people living in, having jobs, living with other people or living alone, going to school, raising families, whatever it is that you do, uh, we have to weave that into our practice in a, a real way or most of our life is it, we're going to become hothouse plants since the only time we'll be able to be happy is when we come to... to retreat places or when we cross our legs and sit quietly. That's great, but then we have to bring it into the rest of our life, which is mostly not sitting. And relationship for most of us or for many of us, for all I know, for all of us, is the hardest one. For the human race, it is, definitely. Bertrand Russell said, we humans, we've learned, we can fly in the air like birds, we can swim in the water like fish, we don't, have, we don't know how to live on the land with each other. Conflict, 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 killing each other off, competing, fighting. Okay, start with ourselves. You want a peaceful world? Are you at peace? You're part of the world. Okay, so let me make a suggestion. I'm going to skip to, excuse me, high teaching. To me it is. I'm going to connect relationship with something the Buddha said. Uh, I mentioned it briefly, I think. And I don't know if I did or I didn't. Between all the groups and the talks, I don't know where I said what or to whom. But it won't hurt to say it again. Someone challenges the Buddha uh, and says, look, I haven't got time. Uh, What's the bottom line here? What is the essence of all this? You know, five this and the ten that and the four, you know, all that stuff. Just... You know, lay it on the line. You know, what is this all about, for God's sakes? I'm paraphrasing. (laughs) And the Buddha says, um, don't attach to anything whatsoever as being me or mine. Now, any time you're suffering, take a look at it. You'll see it finally, like in the first noble truth, there is suffering in human life. It comes about through craving and attachment. Those, are, those words are more accessible. But when you look at 
the suffering and the craving and attachment, you'll see me is very alive and well in it. That's what gets hurt. That's what wants something. That's what doesn't want something. So uh, much of our life is lived on behalf of, you can call it selfing, whatever we're doing, including our story. It's all about deepening. uh, It's all in protection, enhancement of the self, or it's being punctured and hurt. We're working for this self. It's a full-time job. If you want to do that, carry on. But take a look at what happens. That's where the suffering is. Me. My and mine. This belongs to me. Okay. Now let's just keep that in mind for the moment. And let's take a relationship. Any relationship. But certainly if you're in a relationship, married or getting to know someone closely, uh, partner, whatever it is, or just people you work with, bosses, people... Uh, parents, children, life is a relationship. Uh, one way to, to see relationship from a dharmic point of view is relationship is see it as a mirror. That is, uh, mirror, the relationship, a mirror reflects back what's happening. And that's, what, that's the use of a mirror. We look in, we're, not, we're seeing a reflection of ourself. And it's helpful. In the morning, we can shave without cutting ourselves. We can make ourselves look very handsome and beautiful. Okay, relationship, any relationship, if you pay attention, you'll see you have a reaction, even if it's no reaction. Sort of like you give someone a dollar, you take the New York Times, you don't even notice what they look like. Okay, that's what happened. But for the most part, we have reactions. Uh, And those reactions are very helpful. If you live in a family... It's not simply a mirror. Let's say a few of you have talked about being married and having three children, or even more. That's a house of mirrors. Wherever you look, it's reflecting back. Look at that one. You blew that one. You're a jerk again. Can you see what you're doing here? Okay, now typically we don't have the stomach for that. It's a lot easier to just blame everyone else for everything or just change the subject, go somewhere else, change the channel, whatever. The practice is, little by little, uh, making it natural. But at first, it won't feel natural. Uh, While you're attending to someone else or others, you don't lose touch with yourself. And sometimes you're more uh, in touch with the other person, and other times you're a little bit more in touch with yourself. And sometimes the circuit breaks, and you're lost in someone else or lost in yourself. With practice, it becomes a unitary process. It's not inside and outside, really. To begin with, it'll feel that way. And as it becomes natural, it's much more, that's the best word I can come up with. And so every those situations are teaching you something. Like, my father's condition taught me something about myself. The smoking woman taught Michael something about himself. Self-knowing. It's right in your face if you're willing to look here rather than constantly externalizing it. And so uh, if attachment to me and mine is the cause of all suffering, you know, is the suffering, and when you suffer, see if it's true. You'll see there you are again. If that's so, 
I haven't found anything that flushes out me or mine like relationship, especially when you know someone for a while, a close one. It's not always necessarily bad, but it's teaching you about yourself. Sometimes all it teaches you is that you have a fixed image of who the other person is. Maybe it's your wife or your partner or your husband. And you don't see them clearly anymore because you've known them for 10 years or 15 years. Oh, yeah, there's old Larry. He's going to start, you know, he's going to be a wise guy. And there he goes, you know, he'll, now he's going to turn on CNN and then make his sarcastic comments. And my wife falls asleep, you know, just so... Uh, if you start seeing that, then you see that you weren't really in relationship or the relationship was not, there's no communion there. There's no intimacy, no directness. It's sort of this image you make of the other person or they make of you, but all, but all you can do is take care of yourself. When that falls away and it falls away or loses power just because you see it, then suddenly a person who you've known for a long time, you see them in a fresh way. Uh, parents have used this simple, it's not easy, but a simple method with children who, uh, who let's say, over and over and over again, uh, leave crumbs after the, and the, the, would you clean up, said in a nice way. Would, by the tenth time, it's not said in a nice way. But then you can see how, the, you can see the irritability. The child taught you that. The child taught you that there's a limit to your patience. And as you see that, that falls away because, and why is it skillful for it to fall away? Who cares? You have to teach the child to clean up. Well, when you deliver it as a reaction, clean up for God's sakes. How many more times do I have to tell you? The energy of that, or you might even say the identical words, when you follow the reactivity and you take the power out of it, then out of, it's the stillness in motion. Even if the mind becomes a little bit more quiet, it's a, it's a response rather than a reaction. It's not mechanical. And then the energy is different, even if the words are the same, and the child is more likely to be able to be receptive rather than uh, this forceful reactivity coming at it. But it's not just with children. And so the learning is ongoing. It's an ongoing... It's, the learning is because finally we have to learn how to die. So the teaching I was suggesting, Michael was suggesting about how you learn as you live. And much of the time, you don't behave skillfully. But are you willing to learn that and then to grow from that, to unlearn? Uh, that's how skills are refined. You watch the consequences, whether it's making a meal or painting. You watch what the outcome after you do something. And the other part is don't be afraid to... Uh, Check in with people who've been doing whatever skill you want to learn longer than you. They may be helpful, the counsel of the wise in that sutta. The Buddha is suggesting both. In other words, we don't throw away, uh, there's so much wisdom that's been accumulated for thousands of years, even about this practice, just this practice. But then finally, you have to take responsibility. You don't give absolute handover responsibility for your life to a teacher, to a tradition, to ancient books, everything we went through briefly that other evening. It's not either or. We don't have to invent the wheel for the first time all the time. That would be silly. So the fact that there's a lot already known is useful, 
But then finally, our life is our life. It's unique, and, it's the, and this is the first and only time we're living it, this life. Uh, so, and then go back to sit. Now, just one last thing about choiceless awareness. A few questions were, that's all well and good. That's really nice. You just sit and watch all the different states go by, and you, get, you finally learn how to do that. But what does that have to do with daily life? Everything. Because what, what's happening is you're getting practice being with the various different mind states, moods, emotional states, your own. And there's a steadiness and a clarity in seeing them. And you can learn how to be steady in the face of things you hate, things you love, things in between. Well, isn't daily life, is it so different from being on the cushion? where people behave in ways that we, we're happy, whether they're not happy. The world doesn't seem to behave the way we want it to, at least uh, all the time. Somehow, people aren't us. They don't do things the way we want to, and, this, and we can't stand that. But as you start to see the passing show inside, it becomes a little bit easier to experience the same thing. You're, it, the same mind is now in reaction to what it sees and hears, and what it has to say and do. Okay, enough. Any anything we can talk over together? Okay, good. Let's just go home then. Please. I think you're going to have to speak up a little bit. Yes. Yes. Uh, it depends where you live. Where do you live? Okay. I don't. But 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 you're right. Most most. You know, it's not like the United States is exploding with vipassana meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you don't have a teacher, then you don't. You have to make do. But there's one thing you can do. If you can even find one person who lives near you and sit together, maybe once a week, sit together, maybe uh, uh, read some or listen to a tape of a, a talk or do, share something and then just enjoy each other's company. Have it, It's a little sangha, just two people. Sometimes the office knows there may be sitting groups and you don't even know they're in the adjacent town. Uh, of just speaking to Mr. Riley over there. And I know someone, Anthony Variano. That's the name. And he teaches and he doesn't live that far. Okay, but supposing you don't, um, look at it this way. All is not lost. Because uh, we have to learn how to sit alone and together. If you can only sit together, that's... uh, it's kind of limited, isn't it? Some people can, I can only sit alone. That's also limited. Life is together and alone, together and alone. Uh, and everyone seems to unfold differently. Um, I've done a lot of together sitting, of course, it's part of my training for years. But on my, I like sitting alone. Um, so if you have to sit alone, then you can develop that strength, inner strength to do it. And get uh, inspiration from books and tapes and Please. Yes. Yes. 
Um, actually, what I was trying to get at to begin with, in choiceless awareness, the true, pure choiceless awareness, there's no effort. Now, it's hard for the mind to grasp, well, if there's no effort, then how could I be awake? You see, who's doing the effort? Me. Okay. The truth is, as me falls away, let's just state it with the breathing. If you keep doing the breathing, at a certain point, you will come to uh, a feeling like you're being breathed, but there's no breather there, and there's no meditator, no vipassani, there's no self-consciousness about it, and it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Uh, Now, if the old mind is trying to figure out what I'm saying, it's going to be puzzled by it. So in a way, you're going to have to take a little bit of faith in the fact that um, the effortless effortlessness grows out of effort. So that what we're doing now, all of us, probably most of us, we're simulating choices. In true choices awareness, you're just fully present, period. And, and the show is happening. But we're, we are adding some effort to try to... to uh, for example, maybe there's a little bit of an agenda setting that you're doing. And you, as you become more sensitive, you'll start to see how you still have your hands on the, on the steering wheel and the brakes. But, the t- but quite naturally, when the awareness becomes very steady, and through practice it does, if you don't practice it won't, uh, there's no effort. So we have to, we're simulating it. It isn't a true choiceless awareness. Uh, and it's like any other skill to begin with. Uh, you use forms and techniques. Uh, the Buddha uses an example for awakening of you need a raft to get to the other side of a, of a body of water. But once you get there, you don't carry the raft on your back. So you needed the raft. So we need all these forms and techniques and effort, for example, in the Buddhist teaching, right effort uh, is where you're not straining. If you feel you're struggling, something's off. But if you get too casual, your mind's just going to be all over the place. Do those words make sense, or please? Uh, I think. Why do we have to? What other brands? Yeah, but yes and no. Look, uh, I, I, I don't know that practice. Well, that's Galinka's practice. So what I'm telling you, I know probably less than you do. But what I do know, here's what's so... It, of course, it it's basically is similar. But all, what they do is calm the mind, as we've been doing here. A 10-day t- retreat, typically... Not typically, it's always this way. Three days of uh, samadhi, in, out, in, exclusive attention to the breathing. And then they, they have a different method of sweeping. You move through the body noticing the impermanent nature of all the sensations. Well, that helps you let go, too. They don't, uh, they don't use this open awareness nor looking at the emotional states or the mind directly, uh, but all of it is intended to go to the same place, to let go. But I... I c- c- go ahead. Yeah. Good. Do the practice. 
read your own book. The book, you know, you know, you don't really need to know a lot. You have to. You, as, as a Chinese waiter once said to me, "You better off." <laughs> <laughs> Um, you want me to say I wrote a book? I, I wrote two of them, and I, I'm blushing. I feel I don't want to push my own product. But if you should read Breath by Breath, it's sold here. Uh, <laughs> uh, read through the whole thing, but what Michael and I are teaching is called the condensed method. Method. Yeah. So a little bit of, yeah. Yeah, but um, I don't know. There's so many books out. Can you think of anything that might be? Oh, Ajahn Chah, any of Ajahn Chah's book would be very helpful. They're not going to be exactly the same. Uh, the teachers all have a slightly different. There's a lot of books on the, you'll go outside here and you'll see a lot of books by the teachers who teach at the center here, like Joseph and Jack and people like that. And there's probably a reading list that they put out. Not identical. There's enough of overlap, sure. Yeah. Please. Why do you say you guess? Is the question about it or uh, or what? What is it about? Let's because some what? Oh, it's a habit. Because sometimes if the question isn't clear for us, then the answer I give is not going to be of any use either. Yeah. (laughs) See now you can learn something. That's mechanical. You can't help yourself. Okay, you don't have to learn. It's up to you. <laughs> it's your life. Yeah, go ahead. What's the question? <laughs> What's the difference between them? Yeah, I mentioned it. I have mentioned it a few times, but you may not have been where... I don't remember where I said it. I know I said it at least once in the hall. There's a pragmatic guideline. Let's say um, uh, they work together. They feed each other and nourish each other. It's like the right and left hand working together. When when you're doing it uh, the way it's designed to be done, they're both... Eventually, they disappear into each other. But to begin with, it can be helpful. One is exclusive attention, right? In, out. So you have a simple world to attend to, just breathing. Okay. The other, we open it up and you don't know what's there. It's a, now, we still have to have that attention, but the mind now has to become very supple, flexible, be able to be with a changing field. Now, if you find you can do that, great. But if you find you're getting lost in this changing field, start theorizing, psychologizing, etc., uh, etc., et uh, things become fuzzy, then a good rule of thumb, go back to the breath. 
How long? I don't know. That's an art. You have to work it out for yourself. But uh, they both grow in tandem. They help each other. Um, it's helpful for the mind to be more calm, but there are also individual differences. Some people are so interested in their stuff, you know what I mean, that, that that's a natural samadhi. And so th- for them, they probably want to spend more time on just this moving field because of their interest. Maybe when they're with the breath, that doesn't work out so well. Uh, but for most of us, speaking in general, working both, they grow together. They reinforce each other. And you can see if, it's, if you're wasting your time on the cushion, go back to the breathing. Maybe it's just for a few breaths and then open it up again. Or it means just uh, finishing out the sitting that way. I don't know. Uh, learn that art. You have to, yeah. Does that make sense? But, oh, uh, yeah. If, you, if your question, I'm just going to make some, I don't know if I'm addressing your question or not, but uh, I think I am. The essence of this practice is insight. That's why it's called Insight Meditation Society. There are many practices to calm and steady the mind. Breath is just one. In one classical text, 40 different objects can be used to calm and steady the mind. For some people, breath is no good. Not, it's not, if you have asthma, the breath may not be a good object for you. I don't mean to be funny, honestly. It's just, or for whatever reason. Metta sometimes works wonders for some people and other, not for others. So, but it's in the service of seeing insightfully and letting go. So it's for, about freedom. If you take the life of the Buddha, he had mastered the jhanas, which come out of concentration practice. And so in one sense, he was done, cooked. And his teachers wanted him to start teaching. But he felt that uh, he didn't. He felt there was more to go. That, uh, and so that's he. That came out of his own experimentation, uh, understanding that he, he just getting very concentrated and tasting the bliss and peace of that, which is very helpful, healing. It strengthens the mind. It's just a, a beautiful way to to be alive. Sometimes for extended periods of time, uh, but then it, it leaves, and so uh, the the whole Buddhist teaching, in a way. Settles on uh, turns on not settling for just bliss from a concentrated state, but uh, starting to understand insight is seeing into. Mm-hmm. Maybe that answers it. Yeah. Uh, what I heard is uh, what, 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 what you heard him saying? Yeah, a little bit, or at least the way he said it in my mind is that I asked myself. Sure. We sit down in meditation, we sit on the cushion, we start with it, and sometimes like the young guy who said he wanted to tell us, we have to tell ourselves something. You have to tell yourself something. Well, yeah. Don't throw me in there with you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's up to you. It's your life. Look, if we're talking about this practice, if you go to uh, a uh, a Vedanta center, they're going to talk about what they do. Uh, you come. Uh, you've come for a gift to a dentist and you want a haircut. 
I don't know about giving haircuts. I know about this a little bit. So when you sit down, I'm assuming that you're going to be doing shamatha and or vipassana. Because that's, so if you want to do something else, full speed ahead. Do you see what I'm getting at? What, it's still, maybe you still are not set with this is, whether this is a good practice for you or not. I hear it now. Uh, first of all, there's a great, there is individual variation in all of this. One size does not fit all. But I can speak in general. In general, uh, it's best to sp- uh, spend more time with the breathing. Uh, let's say start a sitting off by being with the breath, exclusive attention to the breathing. And you may just go the whole sitting that way. Or if the mind starts to calm down a little bit, then you open it up. It's, it's, I, there isn't, I can't give you... Uh, but here's where the individuality comes in. After you've been practicing for a while, sometimes you sit down and the mind feels very clear. So you just don't, you just, that's what you do. You don't have to have this uh, shamatha, vipassana, vipassana, shamatha. You see? Yeah. Please. Yeah. Well, yeah. Vipassana, I'm sorry. To, vipassana, you can even do vipassana on just the breath. If you, but now it's not what's being emphasized is not just sticking to the breath, but seeing the impermanent, empty nature of it. Seeing that each breath comes and goes, you can learn a lot from that. And let's say when you when the mind starts, but you feel like you're being breathed, uh, it's it's empty. You can see that everything is insubstantial. It just arises and passes. It's a slightly different way of saying it's impermanent. Okay, so it's not that you you for example, your question. You can learn a lot about this wisdom from the body. Goenka would be see the impermanent nature, a nature throughout the body. It's wherever you look, that law is working. But the way we're doing it, and there's a reason for it, you, because it gives you an opportunity to get to know your mind and your heart so that you can become at home with them. Like if you only work with the body, you may not have very much practice with your feelings. And it can be, and it may turn out that when you start living that, uh, uh, you have, you, you, it doesn't help you as much. Sure. I do. I understand what you're saying. Yes, that's what I meant by we're doing an impersonation of it at first. The sim- yeah. Yeah, I do. But there, but uh, even we can uh, change, help help it along a little bit more. Uh, let life tell you. For, uh, let me act out a little bit of what you were saying. Uh, lots of stuff is happening. 
it's not that you have to, there's, it's not running with a butterfly net, you know, catching this and then it's catching it. Sometimes it is one, for example, let's say there's a powerful mood comes upon you. Life is telling you that, that that's where attention is. Sometimes it's a much more, in quotes, two or three objects. Um, whatever is most vivid, distinctive, predominant. Uh, sometimes it's pr- panoramic. Sometimes it's much more zoom lens. Sometimes it's wide-angle lens. Sometimes it's zoom lens. Um, the key is the awareness. Don't become obsessed with objects. The key is we're developing this quality of awareness because more and more you're going to see that you are awareness. Yeah. The, the correct attitude of the awareness is that it's not for or against what it's, you know, what we've been saying all along. It's, a, it's, it's just seeing, and it's not grabbing onto or pushing away. Yeah. Please. Yes. Again, we can't. I would say that stands for most people, but not everyone. Okay. But let's say, uh, let's say, um, <clears throat> and that's a good way to proceed. It's solid, and and I know you know we know each other, and it has worked that way for you, and that's good. Um, <clears throat> but you don't have to wait until it gets that solid to at least now and then get your feet wet to get some experience in learning how to be at home with a wide variety of what makes us up, of consci- with the co- content of consciousness. Otherwise, you're gonna, you could spend a few years never uh, touching that. But so, so sometimes, it, and it varies from sitting to sitting, one sitting, maybe a number of them, it would just be all samadhi, just breath, nothing else. But even there, at least sometimes, the last few minutes, uh, even if you're overwhelmed when you do it, get, start uh, learning how to be comfortable with your own experience. And of course... Daily life is full of opportunities for that. Yeah. But th- that's actually the model, the way you described it. Yeah. One last. Yes. Bill? Oh, that's all right. Go ahead. Is that you? Uh, let's talk about what is, please. But but it, the instructions are the same. Look, um, I I do a fair amount of teaching on on aging, sickness, and death, and people want all kinds of special techniques. Learn how to live. It's the very learn, living and dying go together. They're not different. It's not like now the mind is separated. There's living, and then way down the pike, it'll be, maybe it'll be my turn. You know, like there's an Italian proverb, uh, death happens to everybody, maybe even me. Uh, but the pain, first of all, um, you already have pain now, right? Don't you sometimes? Good. Look, let's not look for trouble. <laughs> yeah, but they're not meditators. I, I don't want to 
no, take care of yourself first, and then you'll be able to help, really help them from your own experience rather than, look, you don't have to come here. People read books, and then they pass it on to their... You know, uh, I, I don't think that's a good idea myself. Um, the commitment to pay attention, the way we've been describing what attention is, and to learn from what we see and hear, both inside and outside, if just keep doing that, when the time comes to, to die, or let's say, if, should we grow ill in a serious way, it's not that you need a new instruction, but your mind would be already in a position where it is much more likely to be able to handle it. Uh, so the people will ask, let's say for myself, the best preparation I know for when the time comes for me to die, uh, I don't need any special meditations, is uh, dying is just part of living. It's all one process. And so... Uh, what I hope, I want to go out in the saddle. Now, I don't know if I'll be, be fortunate enough to. I mean, I don't want to die gaga, goo-goo, and not, no, I want to be conscious, and that to me is sort of like the last lesson. You know, learning how to live and learning how to die. Uh, and there are endless books on how to do it. Read them, you know, they're helpful. But here, it's exquisitely simple because learning how to live and learning how to die are not different. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but uh, wait, there was someone, uh, I'm sorry, before you. Yeah, Bill? Yes. Particularly what? Yes. You mean lacking in compassion? Yes. Yes. I would, I would say, uh, this is my own personal bias, but I, I, I hope I'm not departing from the essence of the teaching. Uh, there are two, let's say you, you conclude that you have a lack of compassion. Okay. That's just for you. You may turn out to have more compassion than, uh, than some big meditator. I don't know, but that's your conclusion. Okay. Um, typically, then we set up an ideal. Let's say you're violent and you want to be peaceful. Uh, and then we run after that ideal, okay? And in the process, uh, in running after an ideal, the ideal is non-fact. It's not true. You're not... I'm I'm using your language. It's not compassionate. In a sense, you're trying to make yourself be compassionate, or it's a... a, uh, You're cultivating a quality that you feel you're weak in, okay? But... uh, So that's one thing, and there are meditations that help you do that. In, in this tradition, uh, metta is part of a, a, a package of, of trainings, which includes compassion 
uh, joy for the for the well-being of for the success of others and equanimity. But here's where my bias comes in. I'm all for that. And if you're if sometimes people have so a lack of a certain quality that cultivating can it's I don't know if this product exists anymore. Adolf's tenderizer. <laughs> you know, like you, you have to you have to kind of soften it up a little bit with some kind of better word, better use. Okay. But um, but if you never you see if you use that to avoid the fact of the lack of let's say that you are violent that you are not kind that you are not compassionate see the the focus of of a wisdom is you start where you are the fact is I'm taking your words I think you're probably a pretty good guy but let's say you you're, you feel a cold heart. Someone and you know everyone in the room is oh, they're all in there trying to be helpful and you're sitting there who cares I don't care you know okay start there instead of doing an impersonation of being a compassionate person to yourself uh, start with the lack of it this is a, a tried and true method it's in uh, some of you who are a little bit more who like to read you know Nagarjuna is one of the great uh, Buddhist masters sometimes called the second Buddha his method was called uh, the way of negation. You get to a quality not by trying to get to it, by, but by negating uh, what you don't have, in a sense. Like, let's say you have, you're cold. Don't take it personally. You're cold. Instead of trying to be warm, you start with where you are. The fact is, you feel the coldness. And this, I have tested enough times to know there's truth in this. That as you start with where you are, rather than trying to make yourself be where you want to be, uh, that starts to soften, and and you may find that you have all the compassion you could want. It's intrinsic in our consciousness, but this is not to set that. That's that's vipassana practice. Okay, it's not to set it off against doing some cultivation practice. And here it would be helpful to talk to a teacher the proper blend of the two of them. Uh, some people might just do one period. Some might do, let's say, uh, uh, the cultivation practice. Let's say the coldness is so severe, and someone like me says, "Well, just be aware of it," and you can't do it. You know, you just you try and you can't do it. So then you need an antidote, something to to, to soften the heart a little bit, and then the day comes where maybe it's a bit more approachable. So you can work with both, but uh, but we're trying to uproot. The, it's called the way of negation because we're finally the whole path is deconstruction. The Buddha is a great deconstructionist. We don't make anything. And if you don't make anything, you can have everything. Now, figure that one out. Take that one home. Yes, please. Last one. Thank you very much. We need all the help we can get. <laughs> Shucks. <laughs> okay, thank you. Oh, a few, just a few moments of silence to seal all of our work that we've done together for five days. Seal it in.
May we continue to look into ourselves. May we see things exactly as they are. And may such clear, direct seeing free us. Thank you all very much. All of you beginners who had never done a retreat before, Michael and I are amazed. Uh, you're really in the hall. You were really you're, you're into it and tr- really trying hard. It, was this, it wasn't complicated. If it was hard for you, of course, but you did it. And we appreciate all the energy that everyone has put in, but especially uh, the new guys on the block. Yeah. Have a safe journey home. And yes, please. Do you, do you want a mic? Come up and use the mic. Okay. That's our real job. We're professional bell ringers. (laughs) Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.